Hi, my name is Paul, and I'm a member with Restored Church. If you're new, we want to welcome you, and thank you for tuning in. We believe that the church is not an event, but a family that you belong to, so we'd love the opportunity to connect with you. If you want to learn more about our church, or if we can help you in any way, please visit our website, restoredtemecula.church, and click on Contact. We also have a mobile app with resources, including our Sunday messages, information about upcoming events, and other ways to connect. You can download our app on Apple or Android app stores. With all that said, we hope you enjoy the message. We'll see if I have one today, because uh, today's December 31st, which means we've been knee-deep in the holidays, which is always fascinating to prep a message in the middle of the holidays. But uh, this week in particular was, was great. I, had a, I was telling the guys this morning that I had a message that I was sure I was going to preach on Friday, and I had a completely different message today than the one that I prepped all week for. So... Um, I feel like today's going to be interesting for you and for me. We'll see kind of what God does today. So I'm going to start in the best way I know how, which is to pray and ask that you would pray for me and pray with me that God would show up. Uh, Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this opportunity to be together as your people. Thank you that at the, here at the kind of the tail end of a busy holiday season that we get to kind of rest and reflect on you. Rest and reflect on what you've done this year, I think, in us as a community, to rest and reflect on your son and what he's done for us on the cross and kind of reflect on what it all means for us. I pray that you would fill me and empower me to speak clearly and to share, I think, what you've been putting on my heart. Uh, the, really the last week, but especially the last couple days. Love you, Father, and we thank you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Uh, so this Monday was Christmas. Did anybody get anything that they were really excited about this Monday? Feel free to shout it out. 320 set of marker for art. Awesome. Anything else that you were really excited about? This Christmas. A new grill. A new grill for Kevin. Jenna. A KitchenAid mixer. A stamp mixer. With all of the attachments. Awesome. Anything else? A camera. Ooh, that's a good one. Okay, great. Shoes? Great. Anybody else just get cash? That's the gift I get most excited about. Yeah, lots of hands. Just cash. Okay, uh, so obviously this week was Christmas, and as I was thinking about uh, this morning, I was thinking about a, uh, a situation, situation is the wrong word, something that happened to me, I guess it was a situation, when I was much younger, and there was this movie that came out that was really interesting, it's called All Dogs Go to Heaven, yeah. anybody seen this movie? I know Jill has, I know a few of you, okay, a few of you guys have, all right, so it's a really weird movie. And I don't want to get into all the details because I think I've done that once before and spent like five minutes of a sermon just explaining it for no other reason than it's just a really weird movie. You can find that message later. But there's something about that movie when I, when I watched it as a kid, which by the way, not a kid's movie, no matter how they package it or brand it, not a ch- children's movie, but I watched it. I watched a lot of things actually growing up in the 80s that I probably shouldn't have watched as a child, and that was one of the ex- a good example. Um, but the, uh, and I'm kidding, sort of, kind of, not really. 
But one of the things that was fascinating about the movie is that there was a character that had like a watch, like a golden watch. Does anybody remember this golden watch? Two or three of us do. I, I can't remember. Does anybody remember the purpose of that watch? I think it was like keeping time until somebody died. Is that what it was? Okay, so pretty morbid. Um, this, is, this is actually, I had forgotten that, that was the point. This is not the point of this message. But the point is that I remember being obsessed with this watch when I was a kid. I remember watching the movie and just being like, I need that. I have to have it. And my parents made the mistake of showing me all dogs go to, go to heaven on like December 22nd, 1989 or whatever it was, or 1990. I'm going to guess it was Christmas 90. And that, you know, whatever that was, two or three days before Christmas, I said, I have to have that. And at the time, I just assumed that Santa got all the toys. And so, of course he can. Like, he's just busy working. Everybody's working up in the North Pole. So, yeah, you can, you can squeeze out a watch last minute. No big deal. And so I went public with my desire for this watch. And now, in my mind, it's going to get done, no problem. I got it in before the 24th, which I guess was the drop-dead date at that point in my mind of what was acceptable or not. This was the 22nd or so. So I put the ask in and told my parents, I want Santa to get me this gold watch from All Dogs Go to Heaven. And I'm sure my parents were like, why did we show him that movie two days before Christmas? I couldn't answer that one for you. But what ended up happening was, uh, and by the way, I was a like, devoted Santa Claus. I was, I remember one year, this was I think Christmas 89, um, Santa accidentally left the uh, Toys R Us like, sticker on a gift. And I opened it, and I was like, oh, Santa's so busy that he's outsourcing some of his work to Toys R Us. That's literally how I thought of it as a five-year-old. I didn't have the word outsourcing, but that's how committed I was to Santa and holding on. So I was, I was devoted and committed. And so, and so were my parents, apparently. And it wasn't just my parents. Uh, it was my whole family, I've come to find out. And so my, my mom's like, where are we going to find this watch? Granted, keep in mind, this is you know, the late 80s, early 90s, in Puerto Rico, this is before Amazon. So this isn't something you could just like put an order in and they're going to prime, have it ready for you. Uh, you have to go out. You have to pick up a phone book and call all the jewelers in town. And, you know, they're on holiday hours or whatever. There was a thing called a phone book when all the th- numbers were there. And so my grandpa apparently starts calling every jewelry store on the west side of the island of Puerto Rico, asking do you have this gold watch? Do you have this gold watch? Do you have this gold watch? Sure enough, on December the 25th, I wake up in the morning. I'm opening gifts. I open one gift. The gold watch is there. And I was, like, pretty amazed when I got it, which was really cool. I was like, man, Santa. Isn't he great? <laughs> Jolly Saint Nick. Just the best. And, uh, and obviously, over the course of time, as I've gotten older, we've kind of started to relook at my childhood again. I've started to kind of think about growing up and think about my family. My grandpa died, you know, 20 years ago. Uh, but that's one of those stories that my mom likes to tell about my grandpa. And you didn't know this, but from December 22nd, you know, on, you know, right up to Christmas Eve, your grandpa was calling and going to every jewelry store on the west side of the island of Puerto Rico for that watch. And you thought Santa got it. <laughs> And you thank Jolly St. Nick. 
which is, you know, we, we have a laugh about it now. But why, why am I telling you this story? What's, what's my point? Um, as I've gotten older, when I was a kid, man, it was all about the gift. Like that, that, actually, I had that watch until like fairly recently when my parents moved out of the house that we lived in. I think it probably got lost in one of the moves. Or it could, they may still have it, I don't know. But, um, but the gift was the, kind of the big thing. I was like so excited about the gift. But now, as I've gotten older, what I get really excited about was like thinking about the giver and the, the, the sacrifice, like the love, the drive to make sure that I got this gift on Christmas morning. Remarkable. And especially now that my grandpa's gone, it's things like that that I hold on to and that are really important to me. Um, why do I mention this? Today is J- J- January 31st. It's not true. Today's December 31st. Tomorrow's January 1st, and we're starting the new year. And one of the things that I want to do today is really kind of look back at 2023. And I think one of the main shifts that's taken place for us as a community is that we've spent probably, this community is about almost six years old, five and a half years old now, since we started back in 2018. And I think the first five years of this community of our life has been really focused on kind of unpacking the gift of Jesus, right? We're kind of like learning what it means to receive this gift. We're learning what it means to be shown mercy. We're learning what it means to be forgiven. We're learning what it means to have a new identity that's not based on what you do, but it's based on what God has done for you, right? I think the last five years have been so key for so many of us in that. I think this year particularly, I think there was a shift that took place. Not a bad one, and we're not leaving the gift behind by any means, but I think this year there was a big emphasis on the giver, on on experiencing God as the giver, of getting to know him in like a fresh and new way. And so I want to spend this morning talking about kind of like two aspects of that. I think two aspects of what we have recovered, I think, of our relationship with God or starting to experience in a fresh way as we see him, Jesus not only is the gift, but God is the giver of this gift and all that it means for us. So if you have a Bible, I would encourage you to jump over to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, we have a couple texts from Romans today. Actually, before, let's take that down, actually. I need to explain Romans real quick, because we have not been in Romans. Uh, in fact, we, most of the year we spent in Matthew, and we took little breaks here and there to do other series. So Romans is like pretty much going to be new uh, for, for those of you who haven't been reading it recently. But Romans is, there's probably been no part of the New Testament that has been more challenging for me and more rewarding than Romans. If you spent any time reading it, it's really dense and really difficult at times to get through. Not because it's not amazing, but just because it is complex. And every time I read it, I get something new out of it. And one of the things that I was thinking about this, really the last couple of days, is what God did to rescue and save us as his people. The letter to the Romans talks about that repeatedly. And there's a, uh, there's a story that I was thinking about this week that I think kind of draws out some of the, the beautiful implications of Romans. Back in 2014, I was living in North Park in San Diego with my wife, Heather. We were part of the first restored church plant, restored uptown. And uh, we lived in a small one-bedroom apartment that I'm sure we paid like $4,000 for, what felt like $4,000 at the time, very expensive area to live in. 
We, that's all we could afford. We, we had this one bedroom apartment. We had one bathroom. And I don't know exactly why I did this, but I, got in, I developed this habit of clipping my toenails over the toilet. Does anybody do this? We got one brave, per, two brave people, three. Okay, so I'm not the only one. So I got into this habit of clip, clipping my toenails over the toilet. I'm not sure exactly why I did that, but I, the, I used to drop things a lot too. I don't know why that's changed necessarily. I feel like maybe in the last few years I've gotten more uh, stable and sturdy as a human and maybe it's manifesting in my hands. But I ended up dropping the clipper in the toilet one day. And if you haven't done this before, it presents an interesting kind of moral dilemma. <laughs> do you actually put your hands into the toilet and grab it? Do you try to cover your hands with something and then put it in, but it still kind of feels, you know, like, what do you do? There was nothing in the toilet, to be clear, because I, I was just clipping it. And so here's what I ended up doing. I did the math. I'm a, kind of a germaphobe, too, which I think I'm starting to grow out of a little bit. But at the time, I was especially sensitive to germs, so I decided I'm going to flush this thing down the toilet, and then we'll see what happens. Anybody ever done this before? No? Okay. So, this is this, so that makes me unique and special. So here's what happens. If you try to flush a nail clipper down the toilet, it doesn't. It just gets stuck. So what happens if you have one, if you live in a one-bathroom apartment, and your toilet doesn't flush. Nothing good, right? So, hey, neighbor, I'm going to bring my own toilet paper. You know, like, it's that kind of situation. And so I made, I made a mistake. I felt it, and I was like, gosh, this really stinks. And we didn't own the place. We're renters. And so I had to call Alex, my landlord, and say, hey, man, our toilet's not flushing, and here's why. I'm a toenail clipper over the toilet guy, and I dropped it, and I flushed it. And it's not flushing anymore. And so as you can imagine, this, our landlord owns several properties across San Diego. I think he did a lot of his own work on his properties. Can you imagine how, getting that call? Like, this guy broke my toilet with a nail clipper that he flushed because he didn't want to stick his hand in there to get it out. So fast forward, I don't know, within a day, Alex shows up, and he shows up with a new toilet. And he like, takes the old one out. He puts a new one in. Uh, he, he's affable. Like, he smiles at me. And he totally takes care of the problem, like completely. And you're like, what does this have to do with Romans? I thought we were, we were talking about Romans. There's a point to this. I realized before calling my landlord that I had a problem that was buried so deep I couldn't fix it. Okay? I couldn't fix it. That toenail clipper was stuck and I was never going to get it. I needed somebody who could get down in there and get it out and ultimately put a new toilet in. So in the scriptures, we see that the human condition is sort of plagued, we're plagued by a problem that's buried so deep that we actually can't fix it. That's called sin. Sin is so deep, buried within the human heart that we can't deal with it ourselves. Sin is what turns us in on ourselves. It's what elevates us to the point of like, I'm, I'm the center of my world, I'm the center of the world, 
it's about me. And it also has a way of turning us into like a kind of tribal mindset of us versus them. Sin causes the collapse of community. And so in the letter to the Romans, I tell you this story because Paul is kind of outlining, here's a problem that's so deep, no one can fix it. It's called sin. The elevation of the self above God and others. And so Paul, what he's giving us is a solution to this problem. He's saying, this problem is buried so deep you can't fix it, but someone came and got into our mess, got his hands dirty, and took care of our problem. And that person's name is Jesus. So Romans 8, 1 to 4, says this. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus, for those who have put their faith in Jesus, the Messiah. He's the king. Because the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. In Romans 5, it talks about how God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The problem was at a heart level that we couldn't fix, but Jesus sends the spirit into our hearts and sets us free from the sin that plagues us. For what the law could not do since it was weakened by the flesh, God did. He condemned sin in the flesh by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh as a sin offering in order that the law's requirements would be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. This problem of sin was buried so deep that Jesus had to come to free us from it. And so he came as a sin offering. In other words, when Jesus offered up his life, he broke the power of sin over us. He washed us clean of our sin. And now he's sent his spirit to live in us so that we can live a totally new life. I can't get into all the details of the specific problems that were plaguing these Romans that Paul is writing to. But what you have to know is that there was Jewish Christians and Roman Gentile Christians in one body. And that caused a lot of problems. Caused a ton of problems. Because I love bacon. I love bacon. And you might love bacon too. The Jewish, Gen- Jewish Christians did not like bacon. That was a problem, right? There was problems in terms of their ability to be around the table together because there were these things that kept them apart, that kept them separate because the Jewish people had their own practices, their own customs, their own identity. The Gentiles did not share that at all. The Gentiles were, uh, they worshiped all these different gods. And the Jews were like, we have one God. We've known the true God all along. So there was all these problems in this Roman community. And Jesus is saying, lift up your eyes together. And what you see is the cross that brings you together. And so deep down, a problem that we could not fix, Jesus fixed. The sin that turns us into self-focused people, the sin that turns us into us versus them, Jesus dealt with that in himself. So that's the beauty of the gospel. That's what the gospel is. Now, as we, as we keep kind of going through Romans, we see something majestic that happens in Romans chapter 12. Go ahead and, and if you guys can throw up Romans chapter 12. This is all a long introduction to these verses so that you guys know what Romans is about. God has dealt with this problem that we could not deal with by sending his son 
to renew us at a heart level, to cleanse us and wash us, to make us new people. How should we then live? Romans chapter 12, verses 1 to 11 says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, which is remarkable, by the way, that he calls this mixed community in Rome brothers and sisters, Jews and Gentiles at one table together around Jesus. He's calling them into this new life together. People who had massive differences, who had every reason to break apart and fracture, he's saying, he's calling them family. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, right, in in the view of, in views of God sending Jesus as a sin offering to forgive us and cleanse us, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. For by the grace given to me, this is Paul speaking as an apostle, as somebody that's been sent to tell people about Jesus. Now he's, he's, he's been given this grace to then invest in other people. He says, I tell everyone among you not to think of himself or herself more highly than he should. Instead, think sensibly, as God has distributed a measure of faith to each one. Measure of faith is not a term that we use, but we do use a term that I also saw in the commentaries, which was an assignment. Everybody's been given an assignment. If you're a Christian, you have an assignment from God in this world. Just like Paul had an assignment as an apostle, you have an assignment. And here's, here's how that works. Now, as we have many parts in one body, and all the parts do not have the same function, in the same way we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. So according to the grace that's been given to us, these different assignments that each of us have, we have different gifts. In other words, we don't, have, we don't all have the same gifts, but we all have a gift. If you put your faith in Jesus, you have a gift, at least one. If prophecy, use it according to the proportion of one's faith. If service, use it in service. If teaching and teaching, if exhorting and exhortation, giving with generosity, leading with diligence, showing mercy with cheerfulness, let love be without hypocrisy, detest evil, cling to what is good, love one another deeply as brothers and sisters, take the lead in honoring one another. Amazing. Do not lag diligence and zeal. Be fervent in the spirit. Serve the Lord. Okay. I want to make two observations from this text that I think correspond to some of the shifts that we've seen this year as a community. The first thing is worship. If we go back to Romans 12, 1 to 2, the word worship is there in verse 1. This is your true worship. Presenting your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. And then in verse 2, it talks about discerning what pleases God. In other words, this is my first, if you're taking notes, this is point number one. Here's, I think, one of the two things this year that has been a part of the shift of how we experience God, from focusing on the gift to focusing on the giver. Number one, concerning worship, it's for him. It's for him. You can write that down. Okay, check this out. There's a word that's repeated in Romans 12, 1 to 2. 
And that is the word pleasing. Pleasing God. It says it twice. Pleasing God. Presenting your body as a living sacrifice to who? To God. So in light of this incredible gift that God has given us, our response is to focus on him. Now the entire Christian life is to him. It's for him. This is true worship. It's for him. There's a shift, I think, that's taken place. I think beyond our church community, I really feel like this is something that we got a little taste of earlier this year. If you guys remember, there was that kind of remarkable situation, that the, the remarkable outpouring of the spirit, renewal, revival, whatever you want to call it. There was a sweet sense of God's presence at Asbury, the, the university uh, in the middle of the country that people started flocking to from all over the world. Do you guys remember this? I think it was in February, March. And it started to happen in other places too. It wasn't just there. And I think it was like a little like wink from God, a little wink from him. And I think especially it was a wink, I think, for us as kind of 21st century Western Christians. And I think the, the, the shift was this, it's for him. We can, without even realizing it, kind of import our own values into the church or onto the church, right? Uh, if, you, if you zoom out and think about America today, what drives the economy? Consumption, right? Consumption does. And I think that that is sometimes the way that it's possible to approach the church in the same way, right? As a consumer. And a consumer has the mindset of, what does this do for me? Correct? Is that fair? That's why we have, and by the way, this is not a, necessarily a bad thing. I want to know, when I'm buying some shoes on Amazon, what did it do for you? So I want to buy shoes that tear apart. So it's really helpful to know, how did those pair of shoes work out for you? Did those rain boots hold together? Or did water get into them? Is it waterproof or water resistant? Right? These things you care about if you live in a rainy city, like this one, last year. Super rainy. My point is, consumption is a part of our culture, right? That we just kind of take for granted. It's normal. But I think the shift that's taken place in our community this year, and I'm not saying that we were a consumer-oriented church. I'm saying I think America is consumer-oriented in general. It's the, culture, it's, the, it's the water that we swim in without even realizing that we're swimming in it. And I think big picture, I think God is calling us and has called us out of consumption to consecration. In other words, it's for him. Everything we do is for him. Consecration is a kind of a churchy word that nobody uses outside of the church, I don't think. But all it means is it's dedicated to worship in the service of God. There's all kinds of stuff that was consecrated. And even in the Old Testament worship and their practices, you had all these ordinary items that were then consecrated for use in the temple to worship God in the service of God. Guess Who's consecrated now? All y'all and me. We. We're consecrated. We're consecrated. And so concerning worship, in view of God's mercy, which I think is where we've been the last five years, exploring the mercies of God, relearning them, or for the first time even learning them, in view of God's mercies, now we're turning to true worship, which is for him. 
One of the primary ways we've seen this is in the prayer room. Uh, back in, I think it was April of 2023, we launched the prayer room. And it's been amazing. Absolutely amazing. What we have is in a business park in Temecula, a consecrated, dedicated prayer and worship space. And if you haven't been a part of it yet, I want to encourage you to check it out when it relaunches here in January. But basically what we do there, what we do in the prayer room, is we get together at 7 o'clock in the morning on Tuesdays, then at 9.30, and then in the afternoon on Thursdays. And all we do is pray and praise. And so that space is consecrated. We don't use it for meetings. We don't use it for anything else. That's all we use it for. It's just to bless God and to say thank you. We literally start with a time of thanksgiving. Uh, Sometimes we have a musician in there, which is great, so we'll sing songs. Other times what we'll actually do is just take scriptures and use them as a launching off point to thank God. I actually love doing that. I love singing. I I love having kind of a time of musical praise. But there's something that happens when you get five, ten people in a room where all we're doing is just saying thank you. In light of Jesus coming to earth to rescue and redeem us, in light of him like getting down, if you go back to my story about the toilet and flushing that nail clipper down the toilet and having it get stuck, the only thing I did right was call my landlord and tell him the truth. I did nothing else correct. And thank God I had a gracious landlord. Thank God also that that toilet was 30 years old and ready to be replaced, right? I think that made it a little bit easier for him to actually just come in and replace it. But either way, my, what my landlord had to do was literally get on his hands and knees and get into the plumbing, get into the muck, get into the ugh. All, everything that I wanted to avoid, he went in at first and did it with a smile and did it with a laugh, I think, because it was so ridiculous. But he did that. He did that for me. He did that for us. He didn't even charge me. Uh, for it. And so, again, why am I going back to this? Why does this matter? I really do think it's important for us to realize I don't clip my toenails over the toilet anymore. I don't want to keep doing that, right? I want to live like a different, I clip my toenails in the trash can now. I didn't even think about that before. That's an option for those of you guys that don't know. For those of you toenail clippers, I'm looking at you, B. You can actually... Clip your nails in the trash can. I wanted to live a different way. (laughs) I don't want to keep doing the same old thing. And so now, in light of the mercies that we've been shown, like we've been given the opportunity to reorient our life around this God who got into our mess and our muck. Did you know that it was very costly for Jesus to rescue you and me? Did you know that? Did you know that Jesus, when he came, I got a new genre of book that I'm really into, Historical fiction. Are there any historical fiction fans? There's a few of you, okay. Uh, so there's actually historical fiction books on the, on the Bible. So there's these characters in the Bible that we, don't, we know something about, but we don't have all the information we'd like to have. But based on history and research, we can, really smart people can come up with like a really accurate sketch of what was going on in the life of these people that are characters in the Bible. And so I went through a book recently. Um, apparently Spotify... If you didn't know this, if you have a Spotify plan, you get audiobooks with it, depending on the plan that you have. 
And so I discovered this, and I went bananas on historical fiction. And I listened to the same book twice in a row. You guys ever done that before? Where you like end a book, and you're like, I'm going right back into it? That's what I did with this book. The book is called Killing a Messiah. Okay, Killing a Messiah. Fascinating book. As the title suggests, it's about killing a Messiah, Jesus. If you stop and think about it, like, how did G- why did they kill Jesus? Why did they kill him? Such a kind person, uh, the kindest person you'll ever meet, who's doing good for the least of society, who's bringing dignity to people who are on the margins. Why would anybody want to kill a person like that? The funny thing is, like, Jesus is this champion that we should all exalt, right? But they didn't. They killed him. Why? Well, there's a reason for it. There's a whole backstory. But basically, this book talks about how Pilate and the high priest Caiaphas worked together to kill Jesus. So it's kind of set it up so that Jesus would be killed. And it's fascinating. You can check it out if you want to. But my point in saying this is one of the things that it drew attention to was something that I don't often think about because I'm not a first century Jew, which is that when Jesus came, he was a threat. He was a threat to the people in power. Here's the new king. It's not Caesar. It's Jesus, right? And so what do you, what do you have happen if you have somebody that's being propped up as a king amongst in an occupation where Caesar is king, what do you think is going to happen? It's going to cause problems, right? So Jesus is doing all of this amazing, my point in saying this is, Jesus is doing all this incredible good to people. He's healing people. He's setting them free from demonic oppression. He's, he's sending out disciples who are spreading the good news about him all over the place. And at every turn, he's kind of on the run. He has to leave. He has to get out of places quickly. His own disciples don't necessarily know where they're going to be the next day. Because if people know where he is, what could they do? They could capture him. They could find him. They could arrest him and kill him. And so my point in saying this is that Jesus lived this life that we think of as beautiful and remarkable, but the reality was a lot more gritty. The reality of Jesus' life was that he was on the run. He was an enemy of the state. And it it led him to a cross where he died this terrible death. And as we read in Romans, it was a sin offering. That's what he was. For who? Was he sinful? He wasn't sinful. But we are, right? Humanity is. And so it was costly. It was painful. That's the gift. And if we understand that gift, we'll realize something. Like Paul talks about here in Romans 12, oh, the whole life of a Christian is for him. It's for him. And so I think that's one of the main shifts that's taken place this year. It's for him. Write that down if you haven't already. You're probably going to hear, you've probably heard us say this before, but everything that we do, it's really for him. When we gather here on a Sunday, who is this for? It's for him. It's for him. Now, granted, who benefits? We do in massive ways. But this is for him. Uh, in the ancient Near Eastern culture that Jesus was a part of, uh, it wasn't, this is something that I, that's really struck me this year, one of probably my main takeaways from 2023, is that Jesus didn't grow up in the West. Did you know that? <laughs> Jesus, uh, when I was growing up, 
all these movies about Jesus. He was blonde. <clears throat> he had blue eyes. He talked like an alien. Like, um, have you guys ever seen the movie Men in Black? Okay, three of you have. It's really popular. I'm very surprised. There's this movie called Men in Black from the 90s. It's Will Smith. And it's about, there's aliens walking around on Earth. I can't get into all of it. But there's this one alien that talks like, I need sugar in water. Do you guys remember this? Okay. Jesus talks like that in those movies that I grew up watching as a kid about Jesus. He feels like a complete alien. It was like a totally different kind of, a totally different class of human. But what we've actually found out is that's not true. Jesus was very human. I think that's part of what The Chosen is doing. If you guys are Chosen fans, if you watch the TV show, it's humanizing Jesus again. He was a very human person. He had toenails that he had to clip. <laughs> However, they did that back in the day. I'm sure they did, because otherwise they'd be like slashing each other. Jesus was completely human and completely God, but he was still completely human. Why am, I, why am I belaboring this point that Jesus is human? There was a point to this, which I just lost. The sacrifice, Jesus embraced our life. <laughs> I completely lost my train of thought. This is what happens when you change your message on Friday to something completely different. Let's go on to point number two. Romans chapter 12. It might come back to me later. Oh, I know why I was talking about this. Okay. <laughs> Just got to read my notes. Um, Jesus was a real person who grew up in a real culture in a time and place. That's not this one. He wasn't a 21st century Westerner. And so one of the things that is different about that culture that we no longer have is that when you were in need... There was all these issues where a lot of the power and the wealth was concentrated in kind of like the top 3% of Roman society. So a lot of people were just kind of surviving. They were living like kind of what we might call paycheck to paycheck, but maybe even more extreme. And so when somebody got into a tight situation, if there was a downturn in your business and a lot of people um, were, were reliant on a family business, if there was a downturn, you needed help. And so what you did is you went and found a patron. I talked about this several weeks ago. You went and found somebody that had means and resources. And then you would come and ask them for help. And if they accepted you, into the, they would take you on as one of their clients. It's a weird way to talk about it now. It feels kind of scholarly and a little bit sanitized. But my point in saying this is that Jesus has become our patron. He's taken us in to his own clientele, which sounds really weird. And so the better analogy is like he's a shepherd and we're his sheep. And shepherds take care of their sheep. Shepherds take care of their sheep. And so in that ancient world, Jesus would be the patron who takes care of us and we would be his Sheep. And what do sheep do? What do the clients do in that culture? They express thanksgiving. That was one of the main things they did. If you were a client, you spread the fame of your patron. You just told everybody, look at how good my patron is. Look at how good my patron is. Are you in trouble? Come to my patron. Right? 
And so this is a huge part of what it means to be a Christian is to spread this fame of our patron and to thank him for it. So that's what we're doing. That's what we're recovering. This is all for him. My second point today as we're going through this, Romans chapter 12, verses six to eight, if we can put those up on the screen real quick. Here's one more aspect, I think, of what this year was about for us. It's for him, recovering that aspect of our relationship with God. And here's another one. According to the grace given to us, we have different gifts. Who was here a few weeks ago when Tom did a whole Sunday message on gifts? A bunch of you guys were. If you didn't hear that one, I encourage you to check it out. He spent a whole Sunday breaking down uh, what it looks like to be gifted. But ultimately, here's the point. All of these different gifts that are mentioned here, prophecy, uh, service, teaching, exhorting, they're all different aspects, showing mercy, leading. They're all different gifts that God has given to each of us. For what purpose? To build an identity around? No. No? to build up the church. It's for each other. And so if you're taking notes, I think the second thing that God, I believe, has been highlighting to us is that we need we. We need we. Go ahead and write it down. I'll explain it. We need we. Grammatically, not my finest. But you'll remember it, Hopefully. We need we. I was at the, um, or it was the week of the Christmas party. Uh, if you're new, if you weren't here with us, we had a Christmas party two weeks ago, and we do this every year. It's our kind of yearly tradition. The week before Christmas, we don't gather here in the morning, we have a Christmas party. And one of the things that's fascinated me about the Christmas party is that it is like throwing a wedding. If you've ever been a part of a wedding before, if you've ever been a part of a wedding, a wedding party, or if you've ever planned a wedding, uh, it's, a, it's a lot of details. Has anybody ever done that, like planned a wedding? I guess some of you are married, so yes, you've planned your own wedding. I guess I was thinking more about it from the like, event planning perspective. Anybody ever done that? Yes, okay. So, it's a lot of work, right? There's a lot of different bullet points and things to work on. And I'm, I'm kind of like, I guess, the, the list man, which you wouldn't know it from this message. Um, so like, just stick to your list, man. Be briefer and more to the point. But I'm, I technically, I'm the, kind of the list maker. And so like, I had to make different lists for our uh, Christmas party to kind of help keep us on track and organized. And one of the things that fascinated me during that during that time was like, I, I kind of created these, like an overview. I like visual representations of things. I created this overview of all the different things that the Christmas party entailed. And it was like 15 different areas of oversight. It was wild. I was like, oh my gosh, this is, this is a whole production. And so uh, if you're any like me, seeing that and being kind of responsible for making sure that all the things are in order got a little overwhelming for me. I got a little anxious, a little nervous. So what did I do? I started going to the Smart and Final a lot and just kind of pacing down the hall at Smart and Final, like wondering, what am I doing? How did I get here? You, you, we've all been there before at Smart and Final. And so I'm, I'm in the plate aisle, and I'm literally thinking, like, should I get nine and a quarter inch plates? 
10 and 5 eighths inch plates? Do we get 275 or 350? How many people do we have? Like, these are, this is the, the, I'm the wrong guy for this. And so I'm sitting there and I'm just like, oh Lord, please have mercy, like help me. And I turn around and look and there's Jill. (laughs) Smiling Jill, love Jill, big fan. And so she comes up, we start chatting and I kind of tell her what I'm doing. I'm sure I had this like deer in headlights lost look of like, I don't know, I guess I'm getting forks. What kind of forks? The clear ones or the white ones? Does it, do they match the plate? Do they have, you know, like all these things are going in, through my mind. And she's just like, I love doing this. Let me take some of this off your plate. And she does. Her and Brandon, just so gifted in, in this kind of thing. And I'm back at Spartan Final two days later because we need more stuff. And I'm having the same kind of conversation. Like, how did I wind up here? What am I doing here? Uh, I'm like, I'm looking for salad tongs. It's like, can, can we just put two spoons together? Do we need something that clicks together like this? Like, what kind of salad tongs do we really need? And so I'm like, please, Lord, help me. And I get a phone call, and it's Austin, the chef for the Christmas party. Hey, I'm in Smart and Fine on the parking lot. I'm like, great, I am too. Come and rescue me. Thing. And so like, here's the chef. I'm buying stuff for him, and he's like, oh, I'll take this, 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 this. What's my point in saying this? We need each other. We need we, in a major way, to do what we do. There's no way that we could offer God devotion and praise in any meaningful way on our own. We can do that occasionally. This morning was a good example. I was, I, I was in the office. I went to the, the prayer room, and I spent some time in there. I hadn't been there for weeks. So I was like, I'm, I'm due for this. I can do that on my own, but guess what? It's way better here with you all. It's a different kind of experience. And kind of in the same way, we need we. We need each other. You're gifted because I have lack. And I'm gifted because there's areas of lack in your life. And we need each other. And the Christmas party is such a beautiful picture of this. The smart, my smart and final run-ins is just one example. I showed up that morning of the Christmas party and there's Lisa and Lindsay and Sienna and Ebony, and they're making it look beautiful. If you were there at the Christmas party, you may have noticed, like, it's, it looked good, right? It looked really good. I didn't do that. That was them. That was our decor team that's, like, uniquely gifted to make a space warm and welcoming and inviting. And it's a good thing that we have people who are gifted in that way, because if you've ever been to our office and if you've ever seen what my side of the office looks like, it's a stack of books and some peanuts, literally. That's what it is in a trash can. That's what everything would look like if it wasn't for people like Lisa and Lindsay. We need these different gifts. Uh, When I was there in the morning, we had a whole setup team that was there. That was just muscle, moving stuff around. I have a bad back. I am grateful for you guys that have good backs and have muscle that you've developed over time through working out and can use those muscles to lift things. I'm so grateful for that. Uh, We had, for the first time in my life, I had my parents come to a Christmas party, which was awesome. And they had a great, they had like a legitimately great time. And I was kind of nervous. I was like, I don't know how my parents are going to, you know, like, not because I love our community. It's just like they don't know anybody really besides me. 
And so we have a welcome team here on Sunday mornings that is just here to kind of welcome people, especially if you're new and make you feel at home. And without having an official welcome team, Jonathan and Christy were like the welcome team for my parents. And it was just like this incredible thing. It's like, okay, we're here. All of us are contributing to this thing to make this what it is. And that, that, um, that Christmas party to me is, will forever be etched as a picture. Like, we need we. None of us can do this on our own. And actually, in kind of our Western individualized culture, we often are, are assuming that we can, that we should do things on our own. But the reality is, I think this has been a year where we've recovered, like, no, we need we. We need each other. Quote number one. Quote number one. This is a couple of dudes wrote a commentary on Romans, and they're commenting on the verses that we just read. He said this, the bottom line of Paul's move from sacrifice to a healthy body of Christ is, do what God has gifted you to do. Profound, right? Sacrifice your own likes, dislikes, preferences, and partisan positions for the sake of the one who had mercy on you. Remarkable, isn't it? Jews and Gentiles sitting around a table. Lift your gaze, and what do you see? A cross. A cross. My goodness, did we, I'm so glad that we have seen pictures and glimpses of this in really beautiful ways this year. We're going to need it, because 2024 is an election year. Need I remind you, if you want to get nervous and anxious now, just hold on. We're still in 2023, technically. I think there's these two really critical things that we have seen this year. It's for him, and we need we. If you can't stand the we need we, just we need each other. I'm going to invite you guys to stand. I'm going to invite you guys to stand up. I'm going to call the band up to the front. Okay. Man, this year, I think God has sovereignly invited us to make two shifts from consumption to consecration, to be set apart, and from independence to interdependence on one another. And that interdependence the picture I gave of the Christmas party is just one. Where you see this primarily happen is in gospel community, which if you're new, there's groups of men and women that are following Jesus in meaningful and intentional ways together. In the gospel community, we practice interdependence. Here, in this space, in our prayer room, we practice consecration. And I think what's, in, what's happening is our relationship with God is going deeper. We can appreciate the gift of Jesus while now becoming people who marvel at the giver, the Father, who's given us his own son. He didn't spare him, but he gave him to us. I'm gonna read these words. You guys don't have these in the back, so don't worry about this. Listen to this. Here's the reality of the, of the Christian now. What are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He did not even spare his own son, but offered him up for us all. 
How will he not also with him grant us everything? Who can bring an accusation against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Jesus is the one who came to get dirty and messy on our behalf to free us from the problem that we can fix, sin. Who can bring an accusation against God's elect now? Jesus Christ is the one who is raised, but even more. Sorry, Jesus Christ is the one who died, but even more has been raised. And then get this. He also is at the right hand of God and intercedes for us. Fantastic. If you know anything about the history of intercession in the Bible, we see Abraham doing this. We see Moses doing this. They're literally going to God on behalf of a people. And it saves lives. And it changes things. Jesus is interceding for you and for me. And so, of course, we have all the motivation we need to move from this is about me to it's for him. Man, is that a shift that you're grateful for this year? I am. I'm so grateful that God has, I think, highlighted this for us as a community. And it's all in light of his mercies. Let me ask you a question. If this is a shift that's like, I think this is still ahead of me in the future, have you experienced God's mercy for you? Do you want to experience his mercy today? And see him shift your life to reorient it around him, bringing him thanksgiving, bringing him praise, bringing him yourself as a living sacrifice. You won't do it until you realize like Jesus sacrificed himself for you. He did it willingly. He knew what he was getting into. That book that I mentioned earlier, the book about like how did we kill a Messiah? One of the things that's fascinating about it is like Jesus knew what he was getting into and he did it willingly. Why? Because he loves you and he loves me. And if you see the depths of his sacrifice for you, you will be moved to offer him praises. With that said, I'm going to call the, the prayer team up as well. I want to end with three questions. Thanks, guys. Three questions. As we, as we land the plane for 2024, and like, what are you grateful for? What are you grateful for this year? How has God revealed himself to you? What do you want to thank him for? Take a minute. If it helps you, close your eyes right now. And you can picture yourself sitting across the table with Jesus and just imagine that you want to thank him for something. What would you thank him for? How did he show up for you? You take a minute. Scott's just going to strum over us. You can thank him even just using your imagination. In view of his mercy, what are you thankful for? to do that, huh? Those of you guys that, this is, by the way, this is really weird for you. Just enjoy the strumming. That's totally fine. 
For those of you guys that are engaging, like how nice is that? Just to take a minute, just to thank God in view of his mercies. This is a part of real worship. Second question. First question is around gratitude. As you look ahead to this coming year, like how might God want to grow you? You can close your eyes and you can ask him. You can picture yourself sitting across the table with a drink in your hand, with bread and fish, Jesus' favorite meal, filet of fish sandwich. And you can just ask him, like, how do you want to grow me this year? How do you want to grow me in reorienting life around, your, around you? How do you want to grow me in being interdependent on other people? How do you want to grow me, Jesus? Just ask him. Again, if this is weird, just enjoy the strumming. Last question, something we haven't talked about yet, but I know there's a lot of, as you think back to 2023, there's a lot of suffering in the room. So I just want to ask the question, like, what is causing you to groan? What's causing you to, like, ugh? Gratitude, growing, and now groaning. What is causing you to groan? causing you to groan. Talk to Jesus about that. You can ask him for help. Jesus has resolved that problem that we couldn't fix on our own by dying for us as a sin offering and by giving us his spirit. For those of you who have deep reasons to groan, I just want to read this over you. We ourselves have the spirit as the first fruits. We also groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. In this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is not hope. Because who hopes for what he sees? Now, if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with patience. And the Spirit helps us in our weakness. I think some of you, some of you today, you just need like a touch of the Spirit to be with you in your weakness and your groaning. I'm gonna invite you to come up and get prayer. Maybe there's things that God highlighted to you that he wants you to grow in in this next year. I want to invite you to come up and get prayer. Maybe there's things that are causing you to groan and you just need a touch of the spirit. These men and women have the spirit and they'd love to pray for you. Lastly, 
For some of you, you have things that you're grateful for this year. God has done major things in your life. And you have an opportunity now, as we sing, to practice that reality of like, this is for him, by thanking him. With your words, with your praises. Scott's gonna lead us into that. But I just want you to know, like, that's a legitimate response. Prayer, thanksgiving, you can come up and get prayer, or you can, you can stay in your seat and praise him. Either one. Father, we thank you for sending your son. We thank you for giving us his life in, in place of our life. And that now the problem of sin, which kept us in the dark, which kept us enslaved, that you've set us free. And that we have everything we need to become a new people. Thank you that it's about you. It's for him. I pray that we'd walk, we'd like hold on to that this week, this year. Everything we do, it's for him in view of his mercies. And I thank you that you've given us a church, a people to belong to, a people that can know us and people that we can know, that we can journey with as we unpack the beauty of this gift and marvel at the giver of the gift. It's you, Father. We bless you and honor you and thank you. In your name, amen. Okay. And get prayer, and then we'll praise.